All right, so uh, I didn't know the, the status that I would be in coming off of a 15-hour flight and a 10-day trip to Israel, and so um, I, I did you guys a favor, and um, we have brought in a guest speaker who is a friend of mine. In fact, he has been a lifelong friend with some of the staff here, and here's what I know. You are going to be absolutely challenged, inspired, and blessed by his story. Uh, in fact, we have a staff member that was his youth leader all those years ago, uh, and he was in Minnesota, lived here in Florida for a time, back in Minnesota, and you are going to be so blessed. And so I need you to give a huge Cape Christian welcome to our friend, Pastor Joe Anderson. Hey, thank you. Thank you, Pastor Corey. Uh, it is, I, I just love the con amazing connections we have, and we have a tremendous tie between us, both literally and figuratively. And I love Cape Christian. I love you guys. And uh, like you said, I, I know uh, several of the people who attend here and staff, and it just... Um, you're going to get to know me. I'm going to get to know you today. And I, my prayer, my hope is that we all get to know Jesus better by the end of the service today. And uh, I want to introduce to you, to you, my family, so you can know a little bit more about me. And so I want to show a picture of my family and let you know who I come from, who my family is. And so I think we have a picture. There they are. That's our family. This was from just this last Christmas. My son was home. Uh, and that is, we are Joe and Jen and Jojo, Joey Jr., Jada, and Johnny. And then our two dogs are Jeffrey and Gemma. So it's Joe. So it's Joe, Jen, Jojo, Joey, Jada, Johnny, Jeffrey, Judy. And at the center of it all is Jesus. Jesus. You got to have Jesus in there. So, and, you know, people would, would say to us, they'd say, that's so cheesy. You guys want the J names. Why would you do that? I'm like, well, after you start that, you can't like name a kid Larry and give him a complex. You know, you got to let them know everyone that they're part of, uh, of, of the family. And so that's my family. And um, just this past uh, about six months ago, we celebrated our 26th wedding anniversary. Um, yeah. But before I get to that, before I get to that, I want to show something because um, you're going to hear more about this story. But we lived down, I'm from Minnesota, lived there my whole life, lived here for a couple of years, and then just last month moved back to Minnesota. I know some of you from the north are looking at me and you're judging me right now, and my IQ just went way down. But uh, we moved back from Fort Myers to the Twin Cities on the coldest day of the year. It was 86 degrees here, and it was 16 degrees below zero um, when my wife and kids landed in, in the Twin Cities. And so it was an over, uh, you know, public school, but that's over 100 degrees difference between Fort Myers and uh, the Twin Cities. And my wife and I wanted to do something to kind of like reestablish ourselves as Minnesotans. And so my oldest daughter uh, has autism, and she's part of Special Olympics. And so in Minnesota, there's something called the polar plunge yeah. to raise, yeah, okay. And so they, they cut a hole, a big square in the ice of a lake, and then you raise money by jumping into the water. And so there's a quick video clip. My wife and I did this just about a week ago. So there we are. They call her name. Yeah. Now watch this because my wife shoves me here in a second. Look at her. She pushes me out of the way. It's like uh, the end of Titanic with Jack and Rose, where, you know, that's why women live longer than men, okay? She pushed me out of the way to get out of the water, but we did that, and uh, we are Minnesotans and Floridians kind of all at the same time. But uh, what I wanted to share with you is my wife and I, when we got, we celebrate our 26th wedding anniversary back in October, and there's a picture of us. There we are. Just a baby. Just, we just look so young. It was 22 and 21 years old, and um, I don't know if you're like me, but when I look at a picture from the past. I always try and think of what was I thinking at that time? What did I think that I knew at that time? Because the 22-year-old Joe, I knew everything. 
I had life figured out. I knew what my future was going to be like. I was on the top of my game, like, okay, this is what it's going to be. But I really knew nothing. And I think if someone had come to me at that point with my knowledge then, this is right before I'm about to get married, if someone had come to me and they were a prophet, and I'll just put yourself in, in, in my shoes, or you think of, a, of an old picture of yourself, someone came to you and did this, and if this person had come to me and they, they are 100% accurate, and they said, Joe, I want to tell you what is going to happen in your life over the next 26 years. You're about to get married. Now, all these things are true that I'm about to say. But if they would have said, you're going to get married tonight, but then later in the middle of the night, there's going to be an intruder who's going to break into your in-law's home and is going to shoot your father-in-law in bed as they sleep. And instead of going on a honeymoon, you're going to spend the next 10 days sleeping on a hospital floor waiting to see if your father-in-law is going to live or die. That case is never going to be solved. They're never going to catch the man that's going to do that. You're going to move from Michigan to Minnesota, and instead of being newlyweds and happy, you're both going to be suffering from PTSD. There's going to be depression and anger between the two of you. Six months into your marriage, your wife's going to move back to Michigan for a separation. You, it's going to be revealed that you have severe alcoholism, and you will have just gotten credentialed to be a minister, have to turn in your credentials and leave the internship that you were at, and you will go down a deep, dark path of depression and distress. You'll turn your back on God in the church, and what was supposed to be just a short two-week separation from your wife to, to cool things off will turn into a two-year and ten-month separation. During that time, you will be suicidal. You will be struggling with everything in life, but you'll come to a point where you go to treatment because you know you're either going to die or kill yourself or get help, you go to a secular treatment center running from God, and it'll be there on April 17, 1999. You'll realize there's no other answer. There's no other solution than Jesus. And you'll get on your knees and surrender to Jesus, and you will never take another drink of alcohol the rest of your life. And then God will do something against all odds. After that long separation, he will restore your marriage between you and your wife. When everyone else had given up on you, everyone thought it would be completely impossible. He'll bring you back together and breathe life into your marriage. And you'll fall madly in love with one another again. And you'll get involved in the church. You'll both be serving Jesus and following him. And you will get restored to ministry as a result of that. And then you'll think it's time to start a family. Our marriage is solid. We're in ministry. And your wife will get pregnant. And you'll be so excited. But then something horrific will happen and she'll have a miscarriage. And you'll try again and get pregnant a second time. And then she'll have a miscarriage again. You'll be going to specialists and wondering what's going on. Are we cursed? After all we've been through, God, all we want is a baby. And you'll get pregnant a third time and you'll lose that child as well. And in that weak moment, God will still speak to you and he'll turn it around and redeem that and use it for good and he'll call you into adopting. And you'll go to an adoption orientation and they'll tell you it'll take over two years to adopt, but the miraculous will happen and you will set a record in the state of Minnesota for the quickest adoption and you'll fly down to North Carolina six weeks after you go to an orientation and adopt your baby girl. And you'll bring her home on Mother's Day of 2003. And then exactly one year later, you will break your own record by how fast the adoption went, and you'll adopt your baby boy, Joey Jr., from North Carolina, and you'll bring him home, ironically, on Father's Day of that year. And then right after that, your wife will start feeling sick, especially in the morning. And you'll find out she's pregnant, and you'll be nervous. Is this going to go wrong? Is this going to be bad? And everything's going to go perfectly, and she'll give birth to your baby girl, Jada. And you will go from having zero kids 
to three kids in 23 months. Then as you're in ministry and you're raising your children and you'll find out that your oldest child, your first uh, adopted child, that she, has a, that she has autism. And you'll be going through the parent's worst nightmare of just struggling with that and wondering how do we get her help and, and why, God, is this happening? But you'll still love her and see the benefits in her life and how beautiful she is and what a wonderful person she is. And then several years later, you'll feel the call to adopt again. And you'll adopt twin baby boys from Haiti except this time it's gonna be an extremely long process. It's gonna be long and drawn out, and it's gonna take over two years. So you won't bring these twin boys home until they're three years old. And you'll be so excited because it's like a, a dream fulfillment. You got these two little boys to add to your family. But then sadly, horrifically, one of the boys will be diagnosed with reactive attach, attachment disorder. He'll have a fascination with blood and gore and sharp objects, and he will be displaying demonic activity in his life that you've never seen before. And you will try everything to get him help. You'll go to every place, to every deliverance ministry, to every psychologist, every treatment imaginable. You'll throw everything in your life to help this little boy, but it'll come down to the end where you'll have to make a decision that goes against everything that is part of your heart and your DNA as a person, as a minister, as a man, as a father and you'll be forced to have to relinquish your parental rights to one of your boys. You'll feel like you can never recover from that, and there'll be such a scar on your life, but God will even redeem that and bring peace in your home. And you'll be working as a, as a lead pastor at a church and serving people and seeing your family grow, and you'll come to a place where you'll feel a geographic calling to Southwest Florida, and you'll go to Florida in 2020, right at the end of the COVID purge. And you'll serve there, but you'll be facing one of the most tragic situations in your life, one of the most difficult two-year periods of your life during that time. And then, and then in March of 2023, you will speak at Cape Christian Church for all six services and share the story of God redeeming your life with the good people of Cape Christian. Okay, now, now all those things are true. And if someone had told me all that right before I got married, about halfway through, I would have ran out the door. <laughs> Literally, I would have been like, this is over. I mean, if someone told you all the problems, the struggles, the tragedies, the, the, the devastation that you could possibly face in your life, it would be a curse, wouldn't it? I mean, aren't you thankful that God doesn't drop all of that on us? Because we would just focus on how impossible it is and we wouldn't see how it could possibly be redeemed or good. The good news is, that Jesus, I can tell you this from firsthand experience and from his word, Jesus always redeems when we let him. He always takes what is bad and turns it around and uses it for good. Um, the verse we're going to be looking at, the passage of scripture that we're basing our talk on tonight is in Psalm 107, verses 1 through 3. It says this, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Okay, now, because this is a song, and because you can kind of give thanks to the Lord for he is good, you can go ahead, but don't get distracted by something that is so familiar. Because we need, and I, I believe that there are people here today that are really struggling with that opening line, that God is good. Because sometimes we can think, well, is he tricking me? Is he pranking me? Is he being hard on me? Is he, is he toying with me? Is he holding out on me? And that's, God is nothing but good. It's impossible for him to be anything but good. There is no evil in him. There is no wrong in him. There's no bad in him. He is all good all the time. And we need to receive that. We need to believe that even if we don't always feel that way. But God is all good and his love endures forever. 
Not just some of the time, not just part of the time, but all of the time it endures forever. It goes on to say, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. That's what I'm doing tonight. That's what you should be doing in telling your story of how God has redeemed you. He's taken something from bad and brought it to good. He's taken something from death and brought it to life. He redeems us through Jesus Christ. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe. Those he gathered from the lands, from the east, and from the west, and from the north, and from the south. And so because I'm from the north and kind of from the south, I'm here to share about how God has redeemed even a situation I went through in these last couple of years. It was three years ago, that actually just this time of year, um, in March of, of 2020, that my wife and I started feeling that geographic call from our place of ministry. I've been serving as eight years as a lead pastor in St. Paul, Minnesota at a great church, had ties, had relationships, all my family and friends, a lifetime of, of relationships really in the Twin Cities. And we felt what I imagine a lot of missionaries feel when they're called to a place, like we just, we know Southwest Florida is where we're supposed to be. Now, almost everyone in Minnesota feels that way in March, you know? And so it was like, I know Jesus wants me to be warm. I've prayed about it. But it was more than that. We just felt like this is the area we're supposed to go. And God opened doors for us to be at a church in Fort Myers. And it was like green light after green light sending us all the way from the Twin Cities to Fort Myers. We just knew that was where we were supposed to be. It took a huge financial sacrifice. It, it was leveraging everything in our life. My three oldest kids were in high school. That's a really difficult time to move, but we knew that was where God had called us to. And so we pushed all our chips to the center of the table and said, here we are, God, send us. We're going, we're gonna do this. And we moved down here in October of 2020. And it was shortly after um, we began working there that we just realized that this was not a fit. Not a fit at all. It was not a place, and as time went on, I could not see a path forward at all. It wasn't a fit for me. It wasn't a fit for my family. And I knew that I had to resign from this position, and I resigned in Thanksgiving, just after being there one year, Thanksgiving of 2021. And it took more faith in my life to resign than it did to go there. Because I was thinking, what am I going to do next? I don't have another job lined up. We're a single income family. I know I need to leave here, but I don't know what is next. And my kids are in athletics, they're in sports. We'd leverage everything to move down here, but what do I do now? And I've never felt so much stress in my life as a husband, as a father, as just a man of God. I've never not had a job since I was 13 years old. Um, and, and we didn't have the six to 12 month emergency fund saved up for a time like that. I'm sorry, Dave Ramsey, we just didn't do it, you know? <laughs> And I remember those moments of just thinking, where are you, God? Even as someone who's been through all these things in my life and has seen God's hand of provision, and his hand of healing, and he's never let me down. He's always been so faithful. Even in that moment, it's like, is this the time that God's not going to show up? And I didn't hear his voice. I knew what scripture said, but I just didn't feel like there was something for me. And I was struggling with that. And, you know, the, the verse that we quote so often in good times that's really hard in bad times, Romans 8, 28, that says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, that's a great verse to have on a coffee mug when times are great, right? But it is a tough pill to swallow when you're going through a difficulty. Because we can say, God, I think your definition of good and my definition of good are very different at this time. 
but yet I'm still trying to believe that at that moment. And that, this was creating for me what I would call a tension of redemption, the tension of redemption. And what I mean by that is it's, an, a, little, it's a little equation that I've come up with just to ha- help me make sense of going through difficulties, of times where it's like, what is God doing in this moment? And it's given me tremendous peace during this season of my life. If you take notes, I encourage you to write it down. And this is what the equation is. It's very, very simple. Sovereignty plus surrender equals redemption. God is sovereign. He is all good. He's in control. He's all powerful. He's all knowing. God is God. And and part of the sovereignty piece is knowing that you're not God. That he knows better than you. He knows more than you. That he's He's gooder than you. God is good and God is sovereign. Surrender is our part. And it's saying, God, no matter what, I will trust you. I will follow you. I will take you at your word. I'm not going to hand you my to-do list or my five-year plan and say, here, bless this with your miracle dust. God, I will follow you wherever you send me and I'll do whatever you ask me to do. And when those come together, we see redemption. That's how we're saved through Jesus Christ is when we surrender to him. But even in our difficulties as followers of Jesus, when we come to him with surrender, he redeems those situations that we go through. He will always turn it around for his glory and for our good when we're surrendered to him. So leading up in my story, I I resigned on that Thanksgiving of 2021. I am stressed out. I am struggling. My kids are old enough where they're understanding, like, dad's not working What's this going to look like? They're like, hey, Dad, are we going to have Christmas presents? Um, Hey, Dad, are we going to be able to stay at our house? Dad, are we going to have to leave during the school year? Dad, am I going to be able to get a car? Dad, am I going to be able to have a graduation party? And I'm trying to, it's going to be okay. And then behind the scenes, I'm talking to my Heavenly Father saying, hey, Dad, am am I going to be able to pay our mortgage? Hey, Dad, do you know what this is doing to my kids? Hey, hey, Dad, like Christmas presents would be nice this year. Like, Dad, is there another job? Dad, call us somewhere. And I wasn't hearing an answer. And I wasn't handling the surrender piece very well either. I was struggling. And I wasn't sleeping well. And and two weeks later, on December 14th, everything changed in my life. Because the night before, I was up all night. I'd like to say I was praying, but it was more I was just kind of arguing, complaining with God, just stressed anxiety. I was fasting. Um, that morning, I was ornery, and I just kind of knew that I was in a bad mood, and I was going to probably get in an argument with my wife because of my mood. And so I thought, you know, I need to go to the gym and work out and just blow off some steam. Plus, if I'm going to be um, unemployed, I might as well get jacked, get swole, you know, just do something. And because I hadn't been eating, because I hadn't been sleeping, I took a big glass of pre-workout energy drink. Okay, like some of you guys are getting elbowed right now. And it was like the kind that was filled with like the illegal Mexican supplements and the, the, the African root that makes your skin tingle, you know, all that. So I took that, I go to the gym that I always went to. And within about five minutes of being there, I knew something wasn't right. I just had this like dreamy feeling like, like I gotta go home. Something is wrong with me. That's the last thing I remember as I walked out, I said goodbye to the guy at the counter. I don't remember another thing. I left the gym, I got into our Honda Odyssey minivan, which is like one of the safest vehicles ever, and I pull out of the parking lot, and there's like surveillance cameras that captured all this. I pull up to a stop sign, and I, I, I stopped at the stop sign for a minute, which is a, it's, that's a long time. And I began to have what they called a stress-induced seizure. Okay, I don't remember any of this, but I jammed my foot, my right foot, into the gas pedal, and rigidly held onto the wheel, 
and went flying through an intersection into a parking lot, hit a curb, and went airborne into a tree that didn't budge at all, smashed into that, went on the side, and then smashed into the building that was a home, a Lee County Home Healthcare Center with nurses in there. They thought an explosion had gone off. They ran out, the van is smoking, and they can see that I'm convulsing and having a seizure in the van. They couldn't get to me. Thankfully, the fire department was there within minutes. They used the jaws of life. They cut me out, they put me on a, a backboard and neck brace. They put me in the ambulance, and they're rushing me to the hospital. And as we're going to the hospital, I wake up and I feel myself choking and I reach up because of the neck brace and I pull it off and I see guys in black coveralls working. My foot is dislocated and turned sideways. And my first thought was, because I don't remember being in the car accident or anything, is I'm being kidnapped, okay? (laughs) I am being abducted. I have seen every Jack Ryan, Jack Reacher. I just watched The Terminalist. I have been waiting for this day and now it's happening. You know, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean people aren't out to get you, you know, okay? <laughs> and so I, I, I'm, I'm starting to throw fists and they're like, whoa, 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 you've been in an accident. Settle down, you're hurt really bad. I'm like, accident? My mind could not compute because I didn't remember being in the car. Then I start feeling all the pain starts to settle in. And I see the guy holding my foot completely turned sideways inward. And I feel this excruciating pain. And I begin to plead with him, please just put it back in joint. Just put, and he's like, we can't, man. A doctor needs to do it. I go, just do it, please. And he looks at the other EMT, gives him a little nod, and he does like a judo move like, and pops it back in, and I pass out. <laughs> just like knocked out. Well, I wake up as they're bringing me into the ER, and uh, you know, they start cutting my clothes off, which if you've ever had that experience, it's really a weird, and I just had some like brand new Lululemon shorts. I'm like, don't cut my Lululemon. She's like, you got bigger problems than that, you know? And, and they're working on me. They're doing all these tests. And the surgeon comes in, and I still don't really know how bad it is. The surgeon comes in, and he starts to go down the list of everything that's wrong. He's like, your foot was dislocated. It's broken two places. Two of your ribs are broken. All your blood work is off the charts because you got your, your liver and your kidney have some damages from that. Um, he goes, your, your back is really bad. It's really bad. He goes, you have exploded three vertebrae. And upwards of 12 of them are cracked and three uh, discs in your neck. Your neck's broken, your back's broken. And he's like, he's like, can you feel anything in your legs? I'm like, I think so. And he started poking me. He's like, can you feel this? I'm like, yep. And he didn't believe me. And so he had a nurse hold a towel in front of my face. And I kept saying I could feel it. And he's like, that's a miracle you can feel that. And then he walks up and he puts his hand on my, my chest and he goes, um, it's really bad and, and I, I can't help you. I can't do this, I can't do anything for you. And you know, like, when you're in a moment like that, like this is my Top Gun moment and I need Maverick, okay? And instead I've got Brewster, you know? Like, I, I, you, want, you want your doctor to have a certain amount of swagger and arrogance and everything, but it was, it was bad. And I, I wanna take a step back just, just to show you the van, a couple quick pictures. So this is the van. And then there's a picture of me in the hospital just as they, I was like beat up from ever. I mean, I was in rough shape. I mean, even my, the, I was holding onto the steering wheel as I was convulsing so strong. This is super rare, but it, it, the, it tore my pec muscle off my breastplate on both sides and completely retracted. But I can't show you that picture because you'll get kicked off of YouTube, but it was bad. Like, I mean, my body was messed up. And so when he told me that, he's like, there's going to be another surgeon that's going to come in and help you. 
And the next surgeon who comes in is this young guy, and he's like Maverick, the fighter pilot. And he comes in, he sits down, he's like, we've got an innovative way of doing this surgery, and I've got a team, and I'm confident we're going to be able to help you. It's really bad, but we're going to do our very best. And he was, but before I do this, he was, I just want to sit down and hear your story. Just tell me about yourself, which is the wrong thing to say to me, because I'm going to tell him about Jesus. And it's like, it must have been an hour that went by. I'm crying, he's crying, he's like, we're going to do our very best. We're going to get you into surgery tomorrow. Well, it ended up being way more extensive than they thought. It was a 16-hour surgery on my spine. And um, they, they put in uh, four metal bars up my back and 24 screws. In, you, there's an x-ray picture. So that's the side version. That's all permanent in my back. And, then there, and so the surgeon, when he came aft the next day to show me these pictures, he was giddy. Like, I think he has this x-ray on his refrigerator at home, okay? And he's like, I've been sending this all you. It went, I've never had a surgery go so well. He goes, I got, I got so inspired in the middle of the surgery when they brought the titanium bars because I sent them back and said, get me the cobalt bars because they're stronger. And he goes, this man's going to live a long and active life and he needs stronger bars. And, and I thought about that. Here's a non-believer surgeon who was speaking life over me in the middle of the surgery. There were pe- thousands of people praying for me. Thousands of people. And, and anyone who would look at this would be like, that's just remarkable. That I mean, this was just over a year ago, and I had to learn how to walk again. I had to go through all, this, all the process. I was at a Gulf Coast Medical Center for 24 days in the hospital there, which is a relatively short amount of time. While I was in there, I saw God move in such miraculous ways. Because I was on a floor of the hospital where uh, I was by far the youngest person there in recovery. And the nurses would come in and I would talk to them. And I would ask them questions about their relationships and give them like pastoral counseling advice. And it was like Joe's counseling center in there. And they'd be crying. We'd be talking. I'd be praying for people. And I saw God turn something that was terrible around for good. And here's the crazy thing. The way I felt in the morning of December 14th, I was down before I got in the accident. But the way I felt after the accident was like complete peace that God had everything under control. You'd think that I would feel worse because now I'm unemployed and a broken back and a broken neck and a broken foot and all this, but I just felt at complete peace that God was in control. And here's an interesting thing that happened to me during that time. When I first woke up after the accident and they kept saying, you're lucky to be alive and I realized I just had that feeling, my first ever near-death experience. It, I didn't feel at all what I expected. I didn't feel like, God, thank you for sparing me, or ooh, I dodged a bullet. That wasn't at all what I felt. I felt just a complete thankfulness for being saved. Because at that moment, I knew like, if I had died, I was going to heaven. That I was okay either way. Like, I, I, didn't, I, I wanted to be with my family. I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to die. But I was just so thankful. Like, I'm saved. I'm God's child. No matter what, nothing can take that away from me. And then on the heels of that, I felt this tremendous love for people. And all I wanted to do was tell people about Jesus and how he's changed my life. And God even redeemed that situation, that feeling that I had in my life. And the whole time I was in the hospital, I was able to talk to people. And God provided for our family it was something that I've never experienced or seen in my life before. It was like manna from heaven. People were sending us money that we didn't even know, and it was paying for all our bills. I mean, my wife would open up cards in front of me in the hospital. We would just be bawling our eyes out because this was my, the biggest 
answered prayer. It's my concern was, when I, when I resigned from my job and we moved down here, my concern was, what is this going to do to my kids' faith in yeah. God? Yeah. Yeah. God, how are you going to show yourself faithful to my kids? And then when I'm laying in the hospital and dad's got a broken back and a broken neck, that all of our financial needs were being met through people, through God just moving on people's hearts and churches and they were taking care of us. And to have my kids be able to witness that firsthand that God never leaves us, he never forsakes us, he'll redeem even the worst situation is the greatest miracle in all of this. I'm in the hospital and it was about two weeks after my back surgery that I needed to have my neck surgery. And I'm in a back brace and my foot is in a cast and my chest hurts. You know, I'm, I'm still in pretty rough shape, but progressing well. And what they needed to do for my neck surgery is my doctor explained it to me. He said, we're going to cut you open in the front of your neck, in your throat, pull your throat aside, and go in and put a metal plate and six screws to rebuild three of your, your discs. And I looked at him, I'm like, has this been done before? Because... <laughs> It seems like it would make more sense to go through the back. He's oh, it's a common surgery. He goes, the only risk could be your vocal cords. And I'm like, for whatever reason, that, that was the first moment that I, in that whole experience, I really had fear. Because I'm a preacher. I'm like, what if I lose my vocal cords on top of all this? And God gave me a gift in the hospital because there was a physician assistant who ran the floor. He was a strong believer, outspoken guy. Everyone respected him. And we just resonated. We, we were both veterans in the military. We would talk, and every morning he would come in early with a cup of coffee and spend about 15 minutes talking to me. And I had told him that I was, I was nervous about this neck surgery, that I was struggling with that. And the day that they wheeled me down to have that neck surgery, he was at the other end of the hallway, and he saw me getting wheeled with like six people. And he yells. He's like, stop right there. And they stop, and they look, and you know, they respect this guy. He comes running, and he's like, this is my brother, and I need to pray for him. And he comes over, and he puts both hands on me, and he starts praying a powerful prayer. He's like calling down fire. He's like, Jesus, by your stripes we are healed, and I pray healing power in my brother. And now may the blood of Jesus cover him, remove all anxiety, give him the power of the Holy Ghost. And, and then he goes a step further, and he starts praying very spirit-filled Pentecostal, Okay. <laughs> And that can be an awkward moment, okay? <laughs> except I'm looking at these other people and they're kind of looking, except I was like, go, go, go. Like, keep bringing the fire. And it's a lesson. If someone asks you to pray for them, pray for them. Yeah. Call down the fire because that, after he prayed for me, I felt completely confident. And I went into that surgery and everything went perfectly. I came out of it and I've been able to make such a miraculous recovery from this. I mean, just one year ago, I was just taking my first steps without a walker. And now I'm here preaching six times this weekend. God is good. He is faithful. And one of the things, an additional thing that, that happened that I just want to point out that was so remarkable was the peop, were the people who reached out to me when I was in the hospital. And uh, one of your very own, of your staff members, who's been a lifelong friend, Art Van Zandt, and he came, there's a picture of him visiting, he came and saw me in the hospital every single day. For 24 days, he came and visited me. And that was over Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, New Year's Eve, he spent the evening with me. I'm sure he had better places to be, I think. But he, he spent that with me. And, and the, the difference it makes just being there for someone and being a true friend changes everything, changes everything. You know, a true brother is born 
out of adversity and when they're there for you. And I'm thankful for, for people being the hands and feet of Jesus. When I got out of the hospital and went home, I really saw my, my wife show me the love of Christ like I've never experienced before. Because it was a load to take care of me. I was still in a wheelchair. I couldn't walk. I had a back brace of foot. I mean, she had to do everything for me. She had to wipe me. She had to clothe me. She had to take me to the bathroom. She had to take me in the shower and put me on a stool and wash me. She'd be like wearing like her sweatshirt would be covered with water. And, and it was amazing. There was one day I think she wanted to hurt me because <laughs> after my shower, she was, she was putting on my clothes. And, and I like my socks pulled up nice and tight with no wrinkles. And you know, it's, when someone's kind of wet, it's hard to put on their socks, right? And I'm looking down and she's pulling up my socks and she kind of just pulled them up halfway and they were wrinkly. And I didn't mean to say it this way, but I just looked down and pointed. I said, you can do better than that. <laughs> I know. I didn't mean it that way. I didn't mean it that way. She looked at me and she's like, really? She's like, have you seen the movie Misery? You know, I'm like, like socks are good. You did a great job, you know. But we've seen God work in our life and take care of our every need, take care of my kids, take my marriage has never been stronger, my family has never been stronger. God has brought us through all of this. And it's shown me that even when the odds are completely stacked against you, when we surrender to him, he redeems. And this is not just a success story that I'm trying to tell you, like, look at me, because it's all about Jesus. If you look at that equation that I showed earlier, sovereignty plus surrender equals redemption. The reason I have the plus mark in red is because it's all about Jesus at the center, okay? This isn't you're doing your equal part with God. I mean, we surrender to him, but Jesus did the ultimate surrender. He paid the price for us on the cross. He made a way for us to be healed, to be changed, to be restored so that we can be redeemed. He wants that for us. And it says this in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith in Jesus. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast. Our job is to look to Jesus, to give him our lives, to give him our problems, to give our trust to him and surrender to him. And one of the things that I, a verse that I love, it's just so significant for me, and it became even more real to me after crashing into a tree, is Galatians 3.13. I was reading this verse just yesterday because I drove by the tree that I had crashed into. It's all scarred and everything, but it's still there. And I just think, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because I had felt cursed in my life with all the bad things that have happened. That Jesus became a curse. He redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curses everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus paid the price so that we can be redeemed, so that you can be redeemed, whatever it is you're going through. Now, one of the things, a story that's been so meaningful to me, is that when my, this is back in 2003, when my wife and I had our third miscarriage. And you gotta, you gotta understand, our marriage had just been restored for a couple years, and we, were, we really felt like, God, are we cursed? Like, do you care about us? It was, a, it was a critical moment in our life. It was a very, very difficult time. And the last thing that we wanted to do that week was go to church on Sunday. Even though we knew that our church family and Jesus and worshiping him was everything, we didn't want to go there. We didn't want to answer the questions from people. This is before social media, so you had to tell people your problems in real time. And we just didn't, we just, we just didn't want to go. But we, you know what we said? We go, the reason her marriage is restored is because of Jesus and our connection with people at the church. 
with our small group of young married couples that knew us, that knew our pain, that we were vulnerable with, we need to go to church. And we went and we sat kind of near the back. And as, we, as the worship was going on, I didn't want to sing songs of worship, but we just began to raise our hands and surrender and worship Jesus. And we are bawling and crying. And one of the coolest things that's ever happened in my life is the people in the church that we were in community with and relationship with, they begin to move towards us and lay hands on us and pray with us and weep with us. I mean, the lady who was playing keys during worship, she left the worship team mid-song and came down and began to hold us and weep with us. And here's the thing. The miracle wasn't that we walked out of church that day with a baby in a bassinet, okay? But we walked out of church that day with hope that no matter what was stacked against us, that Jesus would redeem our lives. And that's what, if we hadn't had that moment, if we hadn't had that moment, I don't think our marriage would have lasted. I don't think I would have stayed sober. I know we wouldn't have adopted the kids that we have. And so I look at my family and I think there was a seed of surrender that was planted on that Sunday morning that is now given us a harvest of our family and of our ministry, of our marriage, of everything. And that's my encouragement to you today, is I know that there's all kinds of things that we're going through. And God wants to restore and to redeem that. And I wanna give you an opportunity to respond today. And this is something that takes some courage. I want everyone to have their heads up and their eyes open. But if you need prayer today and you say, I want to surrender, I want Jesus to redeem this situation in my life. I want to ask you to stand where you're at right now because we're going to pray for you in a moment. Thank you. There's others and I know it's going to take a moment, but just stand. Whatever it is that God's speaking to you, and I, I prayed this earlier today. I just felt God tell me just the word weary. That there's someone here that you're just spiritually weary and you don't know what to do. You don't want to give up, but you feel like giving up. And God is saying, I will redeem what you're going through right now. What I want is everyone else to look around. If you see someone stand, you can still stand too. If you see someone stand, I want you to move right now and lay hands, just gently lay hands and let's pray for one another right now. Let's give, it, let's give this a moment just for everyone to find someone. We want to make sure no one's standing alone. This is what church is all about. This is what the body of Christ is all about. And if the rest of you can stand, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we call on you right now in the mighty name of Jesus. God, I pray for all my brothers and sisters right now who are standing, who are responding to you. They're surrendering to you. They're saying that, Jesus, you're the answer. You're our deliverer. You're our salvation. You're our healer. You are our redeemer. And God, I pray that you would take what the enemy has meant for harm and turn it around and use it for good. God, I pray miraculously people's attitudes would change, that their spirits would be lifted up, that they'd be healed in their bodies and their will and their emotions, God that they would see this as a, mo- as a marking moment where their lives have changed because of you. God, you redeem us. You change us when we surrender to you. And God, I pray this all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Can we thank Pastor Joe for coming and sharing his story with us? You can stay standing. You can stay where you're, stay standing. I'm going to dismiss. Actually, if you want to sit down, you can sit. I'm going to dismiss in like one minute. I want to say this. He said something really important that we're not going to take a moment to do now, but we don't have to because God is everywhere you go. 
He put that equation that sovereignty plus surrender equals redemption. One of those two things never changes. God's sovereignty never changes. The part that's up to up is the surrender. And some of you, the redemption you're missing is to surrender your entire life to Jesus. And, and we've made an easy way for us to walk you through that process and connect with you. And, and if you're here tonight and you're like, man, I need that. You're online. I need that. All you have to do is get out your phone and text the word KPS to 94,000. And you're saying, I want to say yes to Jesus. We have prayer teams. We have staff that want to walk with you through that. But we never want to miss an opportunity for somebody in their heart to do that. Because he, he, he told story after story about Jesus. Being centered in Jesus is why they've experienced the redemption they have. And so our heart and our prayer is that you leave here with so much hope. You leave here with so much uh, just confidence that God is not done with you. Aren't you so glad that he, the redeemed, came to tell his story this week to give us hope? And so I hope that you're leaving, that no matter what you're going through, God is not done. Do you, I, Joe didn't know the worship songs we were going to sing. They didn't know what he was going to preach. But there's been a theme this whole weekend that God is with you. And so I want to pray over you as we dismiss. God, thank you so much for this weekend, this church. God, I thank you that you are in the business of redeeming, that you became the curse so we could experience the blessing, that you became the death so that we could become the life. And so, God, I pray for anybody here who has never surrendered to you, that even right now in this moment, they are making that decision in their heart. And, God, I thank you that we can leave here with so much hope, knowing that the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.